Hello, friends. I'm going to try to walk through an idea about two people disagreeing. They're in some kind of conflict. Perhaps it's your marriage, maybe it's somebody in your family, perhaps maybe somebody in your church, or the world at large. They're probably hasn't been a time in your life where things haven't been have been so tense as they are now. It seems like the whole world is on fire. People have different opinions and unfortunately for a lot of reasons we're just not willing or able to come together and talk. Maybe it's something global like politics and racism, which is pretty much taking over the world. Maybe it's something less intense, but yet you're you're at this intersection where you just can't seem to resolve what is going on between the two of you. Well, I want to speak into that in this podcast. And the title of the podcast is How to Help People with Different Opinions When Both Are Right. I want to make a case for the two people who are talking that they are right. And what I mean by that is they are right according to to their truth. Now, whether their truth lines up with God's word or not is not the most vital thing at this point. The most vital thing is that you understand their truth, whatever it is, because if you don't understand where they are coming from, you're going to blow past them, and, well, they're going to dismiss you because you're not taking the time to understand them. And so I'm saying in this podcast how to help people with different opinions when both are right. And both are right according to their truth, and that is the first step in trying to reconcile, trying to come together as as opponents. And it can happen, and I trust that what I'm going to share with you will benefit you. I want to give a shout out to Colleen from the Gold Coast from Australia. She put a kind she sent in a kind note thanking us for our ministry. And what you don't know about Colleen is that she is a supporter of our ministry and I appreciate her uh, sacrifice on behalf of this ministry. She believes in what we are doing and it is because of her that we are able to I'm able to do this. I spend <laughs> thousands of hours every year. I spend hundreds and hundreds of hours every month serving you all, and there is no possible way that I can do that without people like Colleen. So Colleen, thank you for your kind note, and also thank you for underwriting this ministry. I so appreciate uh, your care, your generosity, your affection for this ministry. Everybody can't do that, but you are able, and so you do, and, and thank you. Now, if you want to read this podcast, I really want you to. The title, again, How to Help People with Different Opinions When Both Are Right. Now, I'm going to give you several illustrations to make my point, and then I hope that I'll be able to provide you with some practical help uh, to be able to first think about and process on your own and then make those applications in your relationships. I hope that you will be able to make those applications in your more tense relationships when you're more like combatants with somebody, whether it is in your marriage, your family, extended family, church, or perhaps across the political aisle. But it would be a glorious thing if, if God would 
uh, permit you to appropriate the grace in your life to where you can reconcile because you're you're doing the hard and the messy work of trying to understand where they are coming from. Now I do get into uh, presuppositional apologetics and what that basically means is that we all have a window that we look through and that gives us our interpretation. And because all of our windows are dirty, well, we are not going to have objective interpretations on any matter. And that's why it's important for all of us to understand this so that we hold our opinions loosely because you know what? Uh, we could be wrong. Now, Cornelius Van Til said, he was the one that, that really popularized presuppositional apologetics, but he said that there are no neutral facts. And what he meant is, is that two people can look at the same thing and come away with differing perspectives. And both of them are right. And when I say that, I mean that both of them are right according to their truth, according to their presupposition. And so you don't want to blow past them as though what they see and what they are interpreting is not important, because it is important. It is their truth. It's how they see things. Let me give you an example. A married couple can have uh, can talk about the same event in different ways. Perhaps they got in an argument last night, and now they're discussing it today or the next day, and both of them are talking about, again, the same thing. There are no neutral facts, according to Van Til. Both of them are correct because they're coming from their own presuppositional perspectives. And again, not understanding this aspect of conflict resolution could exacerbate the tension. Let me give you a lighthearted illustration of what I'm talking about, and then I'm going to give you three or four other illustrations that aren't so lighthearted. When our oldest daughter was three years old, she was into Blue's Clues, a 30-minute television show about a dog that left blue paw prints. Throughout the show, he left three paw prints, and if the viewer found the three blue paw print clues during the show, well, it would lead the viewer to the solution. They would resolve the mystery, and our daughter loved that show. She would sit and and watch with her handy-dandy notebook, which, which was one of the essential tools uh, for that particular show. And this show, it taught her many things, which in a lot of those shows are educational, and they do help, help you. But one of the things that this show taught her, and in kind of an, in an unintended way, it taught her what a paw print is. And what I mean by that is that children learn things through mutual exclusivity. Mutual exclusivity, as it pertains to psychology, it means different things, but as it pertains to psychology, mutual exclusivity means that there is one label for a variety of items in one family. And so an example of this is, is that if you showed a child a flathead screwdriver, and you said that this is a screwdriver, and then you pulled out a Phillips screwdriver from your pouch and you showed it to your child, your child would automatically assume that is a screwdriver as well because of mutual exclusivity. Again, it's how a child learns. It helps them to learn. And so they can apply one label. They can't think in 
categories. They can think very simply, and so they apply one label to a variety of items, and so all of those items in that one family is called one thing. And so if you told them that a flathead screwdriver is a screwdriver, and then you showed them a Phillips screwdriver, they would call it a screwdriver too, because they really wouldn't distinguish a flathead from a Phillips. Now, if you showed her a hammer, she would not call it a screwdriver because it is from a different family of tools, but a screwdriver or anything that looked like one. For example, it, it didn't matter what the tip of it looked like. You could show her an awl or, or a punch, and she would probably call that a screwdriver as well. And that's how children think. And it's important, and here's why. I want to talk about this idea of mutual exclusivity and how my daughter interpreted something according to her truth. And even though she was wrong, she was true to how she understood things. This is how it happened. One evening, Lucia, Tristan, and I, our daughter, Tristan, we were going out to eat at a Mexican restaurant. And as we were pulling up in the parking lot, she started proclaiming loudly from the back seat that she saw a clue. She said, Daddy, a clue, a clue. I picked her up from the car seat and I asked her, "Where, where do you see a blues clue? She pointed to the back of an SUV that had a Clemson paw print, a Clemson University Tiger paw print on the back of it. The blues clue, paw print, that she saw that night was orange. The color of the paw print did not matter to her, remember, mutual exclusivity? Because children can only think through the narrow interpretive filter of mutual exclusivity. And so they will define similar varieties with one label. A screwdriver, whether it's an awl, a Phillips, a flathead, is a screwdriver, even if it's not a screwdriver. A paw print, all paw prints are blues clues. And this is what I want you to understand. The facts of the matter, the fact is that it was a Clemson paw print. The facts of the matter are not as powerful to change her presupposition. And it's her presupposition that gave her the interpretation All Paul Prince are blues clues, no matter what color they are, no matter who has the copyright to them. And so the three big words here are facts, presupposition, and interpretation. And so the fact is orange Paul Prince. But her truth, her presupposition was motivating her to see it differently. And so she came to a different interpretation than I And so here are two people standing in a parking lot at night looking at an orange paw print, looking at the fact, and we are coming from two different perspectives. And in that context, we're both correct. Now, though my kid's story is cute, the ramifications of this truth are far-ranging and potentially detrimental if a person's presupposition is not in line with God's word. Every single person you know, including you, including me, is subjective in how they look at the data. Nobody can look at the fact of something and interpret it objectively. Because our presuppositions can be all over the map, how we view similar things will be different. 
Now, with that in mind, let me ask you a few questions. How does this awareness about presuppositional truth help you to be more patient with those who are different from you? I trust these ideas that I'm sharing with you helps you to be more patient with people who are looking at the same thing that you're looking at. Question number two, how adept are you at helping them see things according to God's Word? Now, by the way, assuming you are right. Some of us Christians can be so doggone convinced that we are right, and and rather than trying to understand the person that we're talking to, we just blow right past them. I think back, I can think back on almost 40 years of being a Christian now. I was so doggone right 40 years ago on so many things that I don't believe any longer. I'm, I, I'm not right anymore. Well, that's what happens, and that's why we want to hold our truth humbly, because we too can be subjective. Here's question number three. How do you know if you're right? How has your interpretation of things evolved since becoming a Christian? As I was just saying earlier, I have changed so much. And I think about my dogmatism on some things. Now, I'm not talking about the gospel. The gospel is true. I, I trust that you have a, a, a purer understanding of what the gospel is. And if anybody preaches another gospel, we, we know how we're supposed to respond to that. But most things aren't that way. And I, I trust that you hold your truth humbly, especially in these areas where we're working through relational conflict. We don't want to just assign one size fits all to everything, meaning that it doesn't matter what it is, everything is a screwdriver. It doesn't matter about the kind of pulpit it is, everything's a blues clues. This assigning of one size fits all label to something became acutely evident to me many years ago when I was counseling an abused middle-aged lady, and this is where it gets hyper-serious. The abuse happened three decades earlier. We're not talking about a paw print anymore. As she looked at my Bible, it reminded her of God the Father. Because of her traumatic childhood, she had already assigned a one-size-fits-all label to the word father. I did not need to tell her what a father was like because she already knew her father was abusive. And that's why she struggled so much when I talked about our Heavenly Father. Do you see how dangerous that can be? And I don't want to blow past her truth. Her truth says that God is an abusive father, and I want to carefully unpack that. Here's another illustration. I met an adopted young man who struggled with authority, and so now you have a rebellious teenager sitting in front of you. He did not want anyone to tell him what to do because he, like my abused lady friend, had already assigned his presuppositional definition to the word father. You see, his father was not there for him. And when he was there, he was abusive to him, his family, his mother, and that was many years ago. And so now here he is as a teenager, and he struggles with authority. Why? Because he knows what authority is. And we don't want to simplistically counsel him out of that 
by not understanding him because he has a strong presuppositional filter like my abused lady. And so his adoptive parents had to learn how the facts of his current rebellion, this is what's going on. You don't like authority. Well, again, you can't be simplistic because the facts of the authority can't get lost in his past interpretation of what a father and authority figure is. Here's a third illustration. There was a young lady who married a man because she saw him as her protector. She never said it that way because it didn't occur to her that the young man was her protector while they were dating. It was only after her husband became an adulterer, which was evident during dating because of their mutual fornication. She never connected how he was during the dating season to what it could mean decades later, how a fornicator could turn into adulterer. Basically, that's the same person. The person you fornicate with becomes an adulterer. Why are you surprised? Those are really the same things. It's just two different seasons of life. It's sinful sex, same thing, but it's two different sinful uh, seasons of life. You fornicated, and now he becomes an adulterer. But she didn't see the fornication as being wrong. You see, her father was so mean to her that her presuppositional filter of what a mean man is, it obscured the minor offenses of her boyfriend, the fornication. She wanted something so badly that she could not see that she was potentially going to marry a future adulterer, which was no longer potential. It actually happened. You see how strong her presuppositional filter was and her craving for protection, love, and safety to the point that that she would commit fornication, which proved to be devastating years later. You're no different from my female counselee who was abused by her father, my teenage friend who struggles with authority, my disillusioned wife who never connected the dot until her husband committed adultery and now she was in counseling. We all have a filter that colors how we interpret our friends and our world. Now, this reality does not have to scare you, and I'm not trying to scare you. That's not my point. It's not my desire. And it shouldn't scare you if you have access to the objective truth, God's Word, that keeps you balanced and practically functional. I'll talk more about that later. Let me give you one final illustration I was counseling a couple, and I wanted to prove my presuppositional theory. And the reason I wanted to prove it so badly is because I couldn't make any progress with them, because every conflict that they talked about, they came at it from a different perspective, and both of them were right. And I didn't argue the point. They were both right, according to their truth and according to what I'm sharing with you here. But I wanted them to understand that, and so I placed my water cup before them, and I asked both of them to describe it. I knew they would describe it differently because they couldn't agree on anything, and so this was a safe bet. The wife said many things about my mug, including the aesthetics. There was a chip on the rim, and she continued to talk talk about several other things. When the husband's time came to 
tell me, to, to respond to the fact of my mug, he said only one word, Arizona. The earth tones of the mug reminded him of the southwest United States. So here we have two people looking at the same fact, my mug. Like two people, husband and wife, talking about the same fact, the argument, whatever it was. And so here they are looking at the same fact, but talking differently about it. Now, why does this matter? The people in your home, the people in your church, the people in your world are just like this couple. And in, and we're not talking about paw prints and mugs, water cups. The way they talk about wearing a face mask, the way they talk about racism, the, politics, America, or the country where you live, they flow out of the historical shaping influences of their lives. They look at face mask, racism, politics, and countries through a presuppositional filter. And the upshot is they will not see things the way you do. And so whether it's your spouse, your child, your parent, your church member, or your political opponent— if you don't understand this truth that I'm communicating to you, you will talk past the person you should be trying to understand. Because proving your point is the only thing that matters. And unfortunately, that's what happens with us Christians because we know the truth. And so the biggest thing for us is to speak quickly and listen like hardly at all. If this is true of you, then discerning others and potential reconciliation with them will never happen. It just can't happen if you are like this, if you are blowing past people because you know the truth. Two people can have radically different interpretations of a particular situation, and both can be right because it's true to them. A discerning spouse, a discerning family member, a discerning friend, will know this essential truth about epistemology. Epistemology is how can we know things. A discerning person will know this, and it will position them to respond with compassion, competence, courage. Knowing this truth does not mean that you're going to agree with everyone. I'm not talking about agreeing with everyone. I'm not even talking about reconciling with everybody that thinks differently from you. That's not going to happen. That's unrealistic. You can't agree with everybody, and you can't reconcile with everybody. But what I am saying does mean minimally you will be able to engage the differing viewpoints with an understanding that leads to meaningful conversations and potentially uh, solutions. And so your first goal is not to seek the truth, God's word, but to pursue understanding. Do you know what the other person is saying and why they are saying it? Do you know why the abused lady thinks God is horrific? Do you know why the teenager is struggling with rebellion? If you don't understand that, your main objective will just to correct them and get them to think rightly, and that will not work. Years ago, I asked a teenage girl why she loved God. 
Here's another illustration. She said, I love God because he first loved me. I told her to stop it, to cease from parroting back her Sunday school answers. Why do you love God? Because he first loved me. She was shocked because she thought that she should shut, she should she should say what I expected. I was not interested in the truth. I was interested in her truth. It's when you know why a person thinks the way they do that you will be able to help them. You will sabotage reconciliation opportunities when you blow by what a person genuinely believes by making so doggone sure that you punctuated the conversation with your view of the truth. Stop it. The young teen was relieved to know that I wasn't interested in the truth, not at that time, but I was interested in her truth. I needed to know what she thought rather than playing this Christian game that we can play with each other. Let's replay the tape. Imagine for a moment. If I let her get away with her Sunday school answer, why do you love God? Because God first loved me. I would have left our counseling session thinking it was a victory for Jesus, and I would have told her parents that she's fine, she's really fine, she loves God, and she's so appreciative that God would save her. And she would have left the counseling session believing, well, that was a waste of time, though she did pull one over on me. If the most vital thing to you is to communicate the truth at the front end of a conversation, you may never know what and why a person thinks the way that they do. And ultimately, your truth won't stick because you have not understood the person or you have not helped them to root out any untruth. Imagine if you, excuse me, imagine if you don't root out the untruth, what will happen is that you will lay down a a veneer of God's truth on their version of the truth, which will create an entangled mess that could smother and even kill God's word. But if you were to lay the truth upon the rock of God's word because you rooted out the untruth and gave them a sure foundation If I took the time to root out the untruth of the abused lady about who God the Father is through character studies and other ways of communicating theology proper, and if I had rooted out that and and replaced it with that kind of sound theology and then began to lay down what a relationship with God the Father could look like, Well, eventually that person could build a surer structure. But you cannot do this until you know them the right way. And so your first aim is to find out their truth. With my daughter, I needed to know what she was seeing and why she was interpreting it that way and then decide if it was something to correct or overlook. Now, in this case, I chose to smile and overlook it because it was not the time to expand her categories beyond her mutual exclusivity framework. This is just a thing that kids do, and I'm sure you have your illustrations of that as well. Children see things a certain way, and there's a time to be able to, when you want to unearth the truth and and help them to think with more clarity, but that was not the time, and so it just became a humorous story. With the adopted teen, 
struggling with authority, and the middle-aged abused woman who had a skewed view of God the Father, well, there was long-term heavy lifting required. Their shaping influences had ensconced them into case-hardened thinking that was going to take time to unearth so we could lay that surer foundation. With my teenage Sunday school parrot friend, my goal was to release her from Christianized rote responses that permitted her to stiff-arm anyone who dared to find out her real truth, that she hated God. Did you see what was going on with her? I didn't scold her for trying to manipulate me or scold her for lying to me because from her view, through her window, that was her self-reliant way of manipulating the conversation because there was something that she was hiding. And when I released her by basically saying, stop it. It kind of shocked her, and it shocked her enough to to tell the truth. And so when you talk to anyone, there will be three truths, what you believe, what they believe, and what God says about the matter. And we can mess up any of these in, in many ways. Too often Christians can be the worst about banging home the truth because they are so right. Holding your opinions loosely, well, that can be a foreign concept for some of us. I have more here in this podcast. In fact, I have a few paragraphs more, and I would love for you to read it. I have a call to action at the end. I continue to develop this, but we are at the end of time. But thank the Lord that it's all free. So if you want to dig deeper in this, I also have a short video here that you can watch as well. And so you can listen to the podcast. You can read the complete article. You can watch the video. I would appeal to you to share this with a friend. Again, the title of it is How to Help People with Different Opinions When Both Are Right. It happens all the time, and there may not be, as I said earlier, a a more sensitive and a more tense and problematic time in all of our lives. And so we want to think about this because sometimes we can just get so tired and so weary of what's going on. And this is where God's children, we need to stand up and understand and communicate well.